Before we jump in to week six of our series, Come to the Table, I want to open us up in a word of prayer. Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity to stand on this stage. God, I ask that you will divide this message to each person sitting in their seats, each person watching online, no matter where they are. God, I just ask that you will give us direction on how you want us to carry out your mission, because the gospel is a gospel of action, not just of hearing your word. So God, I thank you for what you're calling us to do in our city, in the city of Columbia. And I ask that you will speak through me this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, Our Come to the Table series has been a wonderful series. I have enjoyed every single lesson that Pastor Russ, or Reverend Russ, as my, my husband likes to call him, has taught us over the past six weeks. It has been in the book of Luke. And Luke is one of my very favorite books of the Bible for many reasons. One of the reasons is because Luke does an amazing job at showing us how Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. It shows him being drawn to the marginalized, the oppressed, the physically and the spiritually in need, and it shows us how to carry out the gospel in human form. One of the other reasons I really love the book of Luke is that he actually talks about women in an ancient time when they were invisible and they were unseen, and he shows that the women were healed and they were brought to him and they walked in mission with him in the gospel. They were a part of the cross. They were a part of the empty tomb. They were a part of the resurrection story. So I love the book of Luke. If you are a new believer or if you want to start reading the Bible more regularly, I would definitely recommend that you start with the book of Luke. So today we're going to be in chapter 2. And we're going to talk about a story that is probably very familiar to most of you, and that is the story of the Last Supper. The story talks about the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And so the Feast of Unleavened Bread in the Old Testament, when the Israelites were under captivity, there were slaves in Egypt, Moses commanded them that in order to celebrate our upcoming freedom from slavery, we are not to eat any leavened bread. That is simply bread that does not have yeast in it. The story we're going to read about also talks about the Passover lamb that was a part of that feast. And the Passover lamb represents the lamb that was sacrificed. The blood of the lamb was put over the doorposts, top and sides, to protect the Israelites. So when the death angel came through and killed every firstborn sons in the Egyptian homes, the Israelites were spared because the blood of the lamb was on their door. So this was a time where they remember God coming through for his people. So let's go ahead and jump into the text. We're going to start reading um, Luke chapter 22, verses 7 through 13. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it they asked. He replied, as you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. And this was very specific because mostly women in that day carried a jar of water. So it would be very apparent if there was a man carrying a jar. It says, follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished, make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them, so they prepared the Passover. This section of the text 
shows us two things. It shows us God's divine direction and provision. He directed the disciples to do exactly what he said, and he provided everything that they need. The text doesn't tell us why the man with the jar of water knew that Jesus was coming, whether he sent someone ahead or Jesus himself um, told him he was coming or whether it was a miracle and maybe he had a dream that this would happen. But we know that everything happened just as Jesus said. Let's continue reading in verse 14. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer, for I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And after taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you, for I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Now, this is not the very first time the disciples had the commute time of this feast with Jesus. It was a very normal part of their practice. It had been going on for over a thousand years since the Old Testament. But at this point in the meal, the disciples are probably thinking, this one's going to be a little different. Jesus is saying weird stuff, like talking about his body being broken and talking about his blood poured out. You and I have the privilege of being able to read on in the story, but the disciples at this point had no idea what we was talking about. Was this something that was really going to happen tomorrow, years from now? Or is Jesus just merely using symbolism, something that he used to do all the time when he would um, teach some lessons? So at this point, the disciples are really confused. Let's keep on reading in verse 21. But the hand of him is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed. But woe to the man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. Now, spoiler alert, Judas is going to be the betrayer. We don't, we're not going to read that part of the text this morning, but Judas is the one that is going to, to betray Jesus. And as I was reading this part of the story, I had a question in my mind. How was Judas introduced as a disciple? Because Jesus knows all things. He knows um, past, present, and future. So when Judas was invited to the table to be a part of his disciple, he, one of his disciples, he knew that this day would come for him to betray him. So we know how specifically how some of the disciples were called. Some were fishers of men. Matthew was called out of the tax collector's booth. So when was Judas introduced to the story? And in Matthew 10, it tells us that after a long period of prayer, Jesus called the 12 disciples from his followers, and that is when we are introduced to Judas Iscariot. And I wonder, the text doesn't tell us, commentaries don't have an idea, but I wonder what that prayer looked like for Jesus. Knowing that that man, Judas, that he was inviting to his table, to his community, was going to betray him. And I thought about the relationship between Jesus and Judas, and then I thought about my own story. And God brought to mind about 10 years ago or so, I had a friendship. And the friend and I grew really, really close together. We had babies around the same time. We went through the stress and the worry and the hard times of having infants and toddlers. And we grew really, really close. We were sisters in Christ, and we were sisters 
in our everyday lives. And then that relationship crumbled. It was a devastating season for me. It was probably one of the hardest things I've ever had to walk through is letting go of that friendship and seeing that friendship fall. And I was thinking about the relationship between Jesus and Judas, Jesus and Judas, and thinking about that lost friendship in my own life. It made me understand a little bit more the complication that that could have been for Jesus. And as I was thinking about that friendship, I heard a still small voice ask me, was the pain of the ending of that friendship worth the laughter and the joy that you got to experience it before? And surprising myself, I said yes. Because the, the, what I experienced in that relationship was so sweet, and even when that relationship came to an end, I got to know Jesus even better because I spent more time with him as I mourned and grieved, and I grew closer to him. And as we talk about a table of service today, forgiveness is that peace. As Jesus invited Judas to the table knowing what was going to happen, he had to invite him with the heart of forgiveness. Let's jump over back to the scene of the disciples at the table with Jesus. So Jesus was talking about his body and his blood, and now he's talking about one of them is going to betray him. I'm sure there's a lot for them to take in at this point. They just couldn't seem to keep up with what was going on. They were arguing about who this would be that would be the betrayer. Let's read verse 24. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. I'm sure you've all seen the picture of the classic at the, the Last Supper, the last meal of Jesus, and Jesus is in the middle, nobody's smiling, and the disciples are all around him, usually in very strange poses, but it's a very classic picture. And I'm assuming at this point in the story, the scene looks nothing like this. There is chaos, there's arguments, some of them are having the confused face, like what is going on? And Jesus. He, this shows how patient and calm and kind he is because at this point in the story, I'm probably yelling and screaming, I just told you I was going to die, and now you're arguing about which one of you is going to be the greatest. And Jesus continues in verse 25, and we see his calm demeanor as he tells them, this is what humility looks like. Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. Benefactors are people who have a lot of money and they give to the to needy and so they think that they are the greatest. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be the, like the youngest, those at the time as the lowest in society, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater? The one who is at the table or the one who serves. It is not the one who is at the table, but I am among you as one who serves. It is not the wealthy, the popular, the influencer. Jesus defines leadership as service and not power. I have often heard of the kingdom as the upside-down kingdom because Jesus came in and tells us it is not those who are wealthy and have authority that are the greatest in the kingdom. It is those who serve. Now, this is Jesus' farewell speech. This is the last time he gets to spend time with the disciples and he is summarizing everything he's ever taught them, everything he's ever showed them through his life, and he is telling them, if you want to be the greatest in my kingdom, you must humble yourself 
and serve. A couple days ago, I was introduced to a man named Father Gregory Boyle, and his picture will be up on the screen. And he is a uh, Jesuit priest, and he had a church in LA, and um, in the late 1980s, they had an extreme uprising or uptake of gang violence. And it had become so bad, over thousands of people were being killed each year, it had been named the decade of death. The law enforcement tried so many tactics to bring the numbers down. The criminal justice system tried policy after policy. They tried mass incarceration. They tried every single thing they could to try to figure out how to heal their community and to bring this to an end. But Father Boyle and his congregation and his community tried something very different. They decided to treat each and every gang member as a human being. They loved them, they cared for them, they served them, and they didn't judge them. And it made a miraculous impact on their community. He created a nonprofit called Homeboy Industries. And in this, they served well, they built a community, they offered um, mental health counseling, they offered jobs, they offered um, free tattoo removal, all of the things that this community needed, and it made a difference. Father Gregory Boyle has this quote. The ultimate health of any community might well reside in our ability to stand in awe at what folks have to carry rather than judge how they carry it. I'm going to read that one more time. The ultimate health of Columbia, Tennessee, might well reside in our ability to stand in awe at what folks have to carry rather than judge how they carry it. Imagine how different our community would be if we loved and served first instead of judging for what people are going through. What if we as Christians were known for loving louder than giving our opinion or our political view? What if we began to stand in awe of what every single person that we encountered in the grocery store, in our schools, in our homes, on our job, if we stood in awe of what they have to carry? Does your life right now, as it stands, represent Jesus well? If you were the only Bible that someone had to read, what does it say about Jesus? Transformation. The only way that our lives will look like Christ, the only way is if we come to his table, if we spend time in community, if we attend church, if we worship, if we read our Bible, if we spend time in God's presence, that is the only way we can carry out the call to serve others in humility. If we continue in Luke 23, we know that Jesus dies on the cross as the last and final spotless lamb. 
His death was not the end of the ministry. It was a new beginning, a ministry and mission multiplied by disciples, carrying the gospel to all nations, and then passed along to everyone who claims to be a believer. We got to read the story today of the very first communion, where Jesus instructed the disciples to do this in remembrance of me. And here at Murray Hills, we do that on a weekly basis. We remember the past and Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for our sins. We evaluate the present, asking him to show us the things that are not pleasing to him and to look to the future of God's coming kingdom and how he wants us to carry that out to the world around us. And with this reminder fresh in our hearts today, we're going to take communion together at the tables in the front and rear of the room, as we always do. And after we take communion, I'm going to end in prayer. But I want you to think of this. As you're taking communion today, I want you to picture yourself at the table. And I want you to picture Jesus looking you in the eye as you're breaking the bread and saying, this is my body broken for you. Do this. Carry out my gospel in remembrance of me. And as you drink the juice, I want you to hear Jesus saying to you, this is my blood poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me by carrying out the gospel and serving the world. Let us stand and take communion together. Lord, thank you for the reminder this morning that your word is not passive, but your word is active. That our job as your followers is not to merely hear your word, sit in the pews, but it's to serve others around us, to show them your love and your grace. God, thank you for reminding us this morning that to be the greatest, we must serve those around us. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be dismissed. Thank you. Oh, wait.